0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Mixed Reviews. This is a special bonus episode. As I said at the beginning of the year, we're going to try and do more of these. And actually, this opportunity fell into my lap because of our guest, this bonus episode. So I do want to get right to it and welcome Christy Puchko, professional film critic. She's written for Vanity Fair, The Guardian, and Gadget Pajiba, where you can find tons of her work. Christy! You've been on the show before. Welcome back to the mix reviews. You are our first returning guest ever.
1: Ooh, that's very exciting.
0: <laughs> I'm excited.
1: Yeah, you were like, Do you want to talk about South by Southwest? I was like,
0: Yes. <laughs> it was,
1: this is this is the most active I've been in days. I actually did do did uh did they did some gather meets. Have you done the gather meets yet? No.
0: I, I, okay. I feel I feel like anything that has the word gather in it is still terrifying to me. So I'm
1: no, that's fair. No, they're not. Gather's
0: yeah, like an app. I know they're not it's... physical. Okay. I know. They're not.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's basically like your eight bit characters, but it recreates like the idea of a space. So instead of being in a Zoom call with like 15 people at once where everyone has to politely listen to whoever is talking about <laughs> us, you can like walk around with your little avatar and have smaller conversations. And it was actually kind of like walking around at an actual bar at a film festival. And it, because if you walk past people, you can hear them like a little bit.
0: Bit. Oh, that's really neat. Actually, yeah,
1: I did that the other day. That was cool.
0: This future man.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm really excited to talk movies with you, though, because I haven't seen your face in months.
0: I know. I'm super excited. Well, first of all, by the way, I must say you have the best haircut. And honestly, are like, are you doing it yourself? And if so, I am so freaking jealous because I'm really it looks...
1: glad you said that. I did the DIY mullet a couple of weeks ago. It's good. It, it have...
0: looks good on you.
1: Thank you. I've had days where I'm like, yeah, nailed it, and days where I'm like, oh no.
0: I've I've also noticed that your are this has nothing to do with South by Southwest. I'm sorry, I just haven't caught up with Christy a while. I've also noticed that your dressing style is still like insanely on point and I can barely get a novelty t-shirt on every day. So I just have to I have to compliment you that like I don't know what quarantine is doing to you, but like you're thriving. <laughs>
1: I assure you, you're like on Instagram. I try to keep up, but I only post what I look like half decent. Like (laughs) one of my one of my new tricks in quarantine is that if I if you put eye makeup on over a mask, people think you have it together.
0: (laughs) I've seen I've seen contestants of Drag Race do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, real talk. I am just Valentina in this life. Um, No, yeah, but it's it's yeah, it's uh. I I've been watching a lot of TikTok, and I kid you not, uh, I have just become so much more bisexual in my time in quarantine
0: (laughs) well that's you know that's what we uh thrive for here on the mixed reviews keeping it queer so that's uh... exactly
1: yeah like like my husband's like very sweet and supportive and you know my husband but like it's very funny because I was like so here's the thing I'm gonna get more tattoos I'm gonna start cropping all of my shirts and I'm giving myself a mullet and he was like all right fine um but yeah on good days on um, the mullet has body and it looks like fun. I look like a cool rocker chick. On bad days, I look like a like a like I look like a sketchy villain in like an old episode of SVU. <laughs> where it's just like flat and upsetting looking.
0: Two thousand three, so, yeah, I get it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm like, ooh, I'm like, oh, the mullet is like a real. It is, it is, yeah. So today it's doing okay, which I'm glad. I'm trying to. I've learned all these like curling. Well, I've watched a lot of videos on about how to deal with curly hair because, as you know, I usually keep my hair like shaved pretty close to my head, and then I just do fun pinning things with the top. And now I'm trying something completely different, and my hair has good days and days where I just want to shove it into an
0: oven. I love um, it. It so. suits your face shape. It's very nice. Thank you. Uh, But as you mentioned, yes, the reason why we're here is to talk about South by Southwest, which actually just wrapped up. For those who don't know, South by Southwest is a yearly conference that occurs in Austin. Uh, It is a music conference. It is a technology conference. But most importantly, it's a film conference and a film festival, which is what we're going to talk about because this is a film podcast. Uh, Christy, you were actually on a jury this year. Uh, Could you just give us a a brief mention about what that was like?
1: That was really cool. Um, I got to be on the jury for Midnight Shorts, uh, which is really fun. And, like, I write a lot of uh, horror, like, reviews and editorials and I love going to genre festivals when you can go to genre festivals. <laughs> and in this past year, I've covered a lot of stuff and really focused on horror because like it, every film has been hard hit by this past year, but like, I felt like with horror so much of the buzz comes from festivals. So I made a real effort to try to review smaller horror movies and try to do whatever I could. So when I got called in to, to work on midnight shorts, it was really fun. And basically they were like, here are 13 short films watch them we're going to put you together with your jury members and uh then you guys vote for what you think is the best of the best and then it, we were allowed to give a special jury award too. So that was really fun. I basically I waited until a night where like my husband was occupied in the other room. He was <laughs> <laughs> he was doing D&D in the other room like virtually and I was like all right, I got my got my glass of wine, I'm shutting off all the lights, I'm going to watch a bunch of scary little movies. And they weren't all horror movies, but they're all midnight movies, so some of them are just really weird. Um, but it was really fun, and I was pleased, because I thought most of them were really great, and there were only a few where I was like, mm, no. And there were, like, some are just not my speed. But we gave it to the Mo- the Mugwai, not the Mogwai, but the Mugwai, uh, which is, it's a really, really good scary, like, home invasion ghost horror movie about post postpartum depression. And uh, It's really great. It's one of those things you watch it and you're like, this could definitely be a feature, but it doesn't feel like the sizzle reel for a feature. It felt like a contained short film, which was really important to me because there were definitely some shorts in there. I was like, this is interesting and I get what you're doing, but it feels like you're trying to sell me, not like you're trying to tell me a story.
0: I was just going to say, like, kind of like a pitch, which I I will admit the nice things about short films is they can really, in a brief amount of time, show you what a filmmaker is capable of, but you never want to feel like you're being sold.
1: Absolutely, that's the trick, and it's so hard, and it's hard to explain. Like it's, you know, I can't, I, I can't be like, oh, here's the difference. But it's like (laughs) when the story is self-contained, I feel like I understood what happened, but I also feel like there's room to grow. So like with that story, I just thought this is really effectively done. It genuinely really scared me, but also had like something to say, and the performance is really good. And then we gave a special jury prize to um, Stuffed which I believe is available on the South by app until April like 16th or something.
0: Yeah. I believe you um, can still watch it. So please yeah, seek it out. That's awesome. It's
1: I it's terrific. Um, I thought it was so fun. I'm going to explain to you the premise of it. Uh, <laughs> It's it's about a taxidermist who is like killing it at her hobby of taxidermy in a remote location, but she wants a new challenge. So she thinks it would be very cool if I taxidermied a human, but very sweet story about consent. She's not going to like kill anybody without their consent. So she goes on the internet and she looks for someone to volunteer and she finds someone who's basically like, I don't want to grow old. I'm very afraid of that. And I'm also afraid I'm going to die and leave nothing interesting behind. So then they meet But then they sort of fall in love and you're like, oh, no, because like (laughs) they want to be together, but also they don't want to disappoint each other. And like they came together for this like almighty project. So what are they going to do? And I got really caught up. It's like 18 minutes long. I was very invested. Now, (laughs) imagine all of this. And it's a musical. What? Dude, like she started singing and I was like, what is happening? And like literally her Googling on the Internet and people yelling at her that she's a freak and stuff. It's like all being sung. And I was like into this. Like, it was one of those things that I watched and I was like, oh, um, this person got inside my head and picked up weird little sundries of the things I enjoy (laughs) and put them in a short. How nice of them.
0: Yeah, that sounds really wonderful. I didn't, I unfortunately didn't get a chance to watch that many shorts. I think I saw three or four in total and none of them were horror shorts. So I really uh, shorted myself on that one. Indeed.
1: (laughs) But yeah, it it was a really tough competition. It was really fun. And like, you know, what's cool is that like, we had people who like I'm a professional critic and Jason Blum was on the panel. It was like, you know, Blum house. And then Arby Pedrosian, who is in development at 20th century. Um, so like some heavy hitters. Cause like these guys see your stuff and that's huge for you. And like, if I see it, I am also a big deal. No, I mean, <laughs> sincerely, like it was, <laughs> it was, it was exciting to kind of get to do the zoom call with them and talk about like what we felt mattered as far as story and performance and to like, you know passionately debate about what we thought deserved attention and and there were a lot of good things so it was it was a fun problem to have to figure out like how do we pick and yeah that was really cool but yeah um yeah one of the things that I got for that was that they were like we'll give you a free pass to the festival I was like I'm already covering the festival so I have a pass and thankfully it was transferable and I was like I know who could use this so I was very excited
0: I am eternally grateful to you because I I you know, I haven't written in a while. Uh, I'll be upfront about that, but uh, I have written for people before. I used to write for websites, and I worked for Filmmaker Magazine for a while. But I um, haven't had a chance to flex that muscle in a long time. And I was also really kind of burnout. out. And I don't want to name the other film festival, but it's not South by Southwest. The last film festival I went to, which was maybe two or three years ago, It just really did a number on me. And I was just like, you know what? If I don't have to do this again, I don't want to. But you know what? Sure. This South by Southwest, and also, I should mention, South by Southwest, this is its, you know, big comeback year. Because unfortunately, due to the pandemic, they had to cancel for the first time in a very long time last year. And it was, like,
1: within a week.
0: Oh, yeah. It was awful. Um,
1: Yeah. Everyone was spiraling from that. That was really
0: hard. uh, But I have to say, this... South by Southwest 2021, and the way it was run, really revived my faith in film festivals. I found the access to the filmmakers just really, you know, really easy, and and the access to the films and the way that they ran things with the registering, with the number of seats and everything. I don't know. I was just very impressed because I was unsure how they were going to be able to pull it off, and I think they did it. You know, with flying colors.
1: Yeah, I think that it, they had a real challenge in front of them. I've covered, I was going to say the number, but I didn't count. I covered a lot of the virtual festivals within the past year now. Oh. Uh, and it's been <laughs> interesting to see how differently each festival handles stuff. Um, but I did really like that, like, you know, you could, there was an app and you could just put stuff on your TV. And like that made it really easy because I know some festivals that relied on like, a specific server or something. And I was like, right. I don't like the server. I'm just gonna ask PR people <laughs> for links. Like some of them got real weird, but you know, the, the it's cool that they were able to do that and that they were able to open it up in a way that like in theory, uh, more people could participate. I know that there was some controversy because they only did passes instead of doing individual tickets. Like Sundance also right. did individual tickets. Um, but I don't know anything about the numbers on those not totally sure we'll ever hear the numbers on those
0: I feel no, like this okay. one, probably <laughs> i think they'll keep those close to the chest
1: right but it's also because like how do you know what success is on this like we're in such a there's no map for where we're at right now so um but yeah it was very cool and i was glad to see um because i remember when the thing was first announced and it's a very different south by lineup than what you typically get because yeah, typically yeah. there's a lot of there's usually like five to ten like big movies that have big stars and you know that they're going to play at the paramount which is this big theater in austin and you know they're going to sell out and you know tickets are going to be hard to get and you know that there's going to be a big red carpet and there's going to be big parties and like you know it's going to be a thing like by contrast in past years like the surprise screening one time was like ready player one right um that is not my best example because I loathed that movie. No,
0: but but it was a big film, you know. Yes, I think exactly. I think even... like
1: literally Steven Spielberg is there, you know, right. like he's on stage and like you know they they've had big parties or big things before. Like they have uh, Seth Rogen usually premieres a movie there, and it's usually a big comedy. Last year, not last year, two years ago at South by they premiered The Long Shot with him and Charlie Theron and they had Boys to Men play after the movie. Like <laughs> it's like South by is such people are like oh it's such a party festival which is true but it's because of the idea that they have like big things that are like big crowd pleasers and then they have all these like weirder little movies that are like thoughtful or strange or you know dark and and it's cool because the big stuff allows them to get people to come and like right. guarantee like both press and you know audiences and then you kind of wind your way into these weirder corners and like one of the, my favorite things I've seen at South by was the breaker uppers which came out that was 2019 too that's on Netflix right now highly recommend But it's a New Zealand comedy about these two friends who have made it their jobs to break people up. (laughs) Like, if you want to get out of a relationship, you go to them, you pay them monies, they will like fake your death, they will pretend to be your pregnant mistress, like, this is the kind of thing It's very funny, and super weird. And it's like the people who do like Flight of the Concords, it's like adjacent to them. Like the kid from Boy is in it as like a himbo. And he is one of the funniest himbos I've <laughs> ever seen. Uh, and it's it's just very funny. But like they they get like weirder little comedies like that. And so what was cool about this year was we didn't have the big stuff. Like you weren't getting like surprise, the next Fast and the Furious movie, right. which was a thing that happened one year. Um, but I what was you really did upset. get we're Boys like,
0: to Men didn't come to my home. That was the yeah. big problem. <laughs>
1: no joke they threw me a rose and i still have it so
0: (laughs) i know you wouldn't joke about that (laughs) no
1: that was you know what it was it was like literally the week that luke perry died and like my heart was still broken and then i got to see boys to men play which is the thing i never thought would happen because they didn't come to my dinky town like (laughs) that was very healing um but yeah so that's the thing with south by like south by is a place where you can have these super weird experiences where you're like i just saw boys to men play <laughs> and like this year was like i think they were trying to recapture that in a variety of ways i mostly focused on the movies because frankly i don't have the bandwidth for much else yeah um same but the, i did like that there's a continuing thread this year of like really good comedies at south by um yeah. i don't did did you see any that you liked
0: Oh, so there was, by the way, and I, I just want to say, I, I watched more films in this film festival than I have in a long time. And part of that is the convenience of not having to leave my home. So I was able to basically just be like, what's the next thing I want to watch? But uh, I saw 15 films altogether, um, which is a lot for me. <laughs> and uh, That's good. I um, don't
1: remember how many I saw.
0: Oh, I just happen to have the number in front of me. That's, literally <laughs> That's good. Old. That's smart. Uh, I
1: stopped counting after the ones I was assigned, because after that I was like, anything else
0: you do is great. uh, I don't blame you. Um, But I would say, since we're on the topic of comedies, uh, one of my favorite, favorite films of the festival was a movie called Ninja Baby.
1: I love Ninja Baby. I knew. I knew. I watched Ninja Baby because you tweeted about. That was actually this was where me giving you a pass turned out to be very helpful for me, <laughs> because you would tweet about what you were watching, and then I would text you on the on the side and be like, "Should I also watch that?" And yeah. like, you were very helpful.
0: And I was like, "Yes, absolutely." Yeah. Ninja Baby is a Norwegian dramedy. Uh, it's about a young woman who finds herself pregnant uh, after a one night stand. Um, and then goes in to get an abortion and finds out it's actually from a previous one night stand. She's been pregnant for a lot longer than she thought she was. And the sort of wrench that this child now throws into her life because she's going to have to have this child. And will she give this child away? Will she give this child to the idiot man that she slept with? Will (laughs) she, will she keep this child? Um, and it's very funny. She's an artist, and she assigns a whole character to this baby, uh, a comic character that she's calling Ninja Baby.
1: Because and... he's a rotten, sneaky Ninja Baby. Exactly. And, <laughs> like and... The idea that she did it because he like, sne- the baby like snuck up on her, she didn't know <laughs> that it was in her, made me laugh so hard that that's why it's called Ninja Baby.
0: Uh, this film is just so sweet and so funny. It has a lot of heart. It's also got a lot of a really amazing use of mixed media in it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of the times the drawings interact with her life and not just in over the top blatant ways. like really subtle I was really impressed by the um, by the way that this was executed throughout the film. Uh, the film is directed by uh, <laughs> please, everybody knows I cannot pronounce anything worth shit. so I'm so sorry. this very Norwegian name. But, uh, Yingvild, say, Feek? If I'm wrong, please write us in, Yingvild. Um, (laughs) the screenplay is by Johan Fasting, and, yeah, I can, I cannot, uh, say enough good things. It's actually based on a graphic novel as well, so, yeah, which is funny. And another example of a comic book movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what's so funny though is that like what I enjoyed about it is the, when the ninja baby drawing shows up to illustrate her kind of being able to talk her thoughts out with this child uh, in a very prevenge mode minus the murder
0: It's uh, <laughs> a good like, reference
1: the, the baby is like not cute the way she draws it right. and like I really like that because at first I was like the baby is so gross looking I was like of course it is because she's she sees it as this invader right. and she's so annoyed at it and I thought, like, the way they styled all those things was so thoughtful. And th- I texted you during one scene that I'm not going to give away, but I was like, they are not about to do what I think they're going to do. And then I just texted Gavin, like, I, like it was like three words, I think, that just being like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. But, like, <laughs> I appreciated. it. It reminded me of, like, Obvious Child or, like, yes. Wetlands, where it's talking about these elements of womanhood that are uh, uncomfortable and gross and that like girls aren't supposed to talk about. And I really enjoy that the film does that. And that the film like also, like she resolutely doesn't want this kid. And no matter what anybody says, they cannot convince her that she wants this kid. And as someone who is child-free and like perfectly happy about that, I respected that because I felt like I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop where she was going to be like, "Oh, but maybe really," and like I, because I've had people say to me so many times, like, "Oh, but it's different when they're yours," and I'm like, "That is a real big risk to take." Yeah, yeah. Because like, what if I'm a married lady? What if I chose to have a baby and then I was like, mm, "No, I don't like this." <laughs> like in theory. I could give that kid up for adoption, but I'm fairly certain that I will get shit from my family for the rest of my existence. Like, it's not, you can't, you can't just get like, it's, it's, it's very frustrating how like motherhood is treated. Like a thing all women are expected to do no matter how prepared they are, right? whatever. Like, and I really enjoyed how Ninja baby engages with that conversation and also the way it created really fun characters. It reminded me of another Scandinavian. It was a, it was a comedy mini series called i think it was called like home for christmas or it's on netflix and it's about a girl who lies to her family and says she has a boyfriend and they're like great bring me christmas dinner and now she has 24 days to find a boyfriend to bring christmas dinner which is like such an american conceit except yeah. that like she doesn't just want to pay an escort to sit in dinner <laughs> so she's trying to find an actual boyfriend and it's about 24 days of her just saying yes to everything so she can figure it out and it had that kind of sense of like embracing the source sense of chaos and optimism but in a really smart like in a very sophisticated sense of humor so I really dug Ninja Baby like I had bookmarked it early on in the festival something I was curious about because the log line was funny and then um when I learned it was Norwegian I got like more excited about it (laughs) because Norwegian humor is just man it just doesn't it's not American humor always like wants to be a little bit nice yeah, like, it's a, like we'll It doesn't backpedal. pull its punches at all. Yeah, like Norwegian humor is like very kind of like, ta-da! No, <laughs> I know that was snarky. What? It's funny
0: too, and we'll move on from Ninja Baby in just a moment, but I do want to say the other thing that I really like too is I think um, in a more traditional sense, uh, a lot of the things that those, the women are saying in that movie, I think people associate more with men and that's not me being sexist that's the hollywood standard and so it's nice to also see um a movie in which the women are people and not just ideals
1: yeah uh, yeah like the women in this movie are messy and i thought yeah. that made them really fun i like i just like from the moment where the two best friends are she's like your boobs are bigger and she's like are they she's like yeah they totally are and she, her friend just pokes them <laughs> yeah exactly. Like, I enjoyed. The- <laughs> it was like very unguarded they were just like
0: you know, it's and the kind of she, thing
1: that America were like, oh my God.
0: And that she was shown having like a positive sex life. It wasn't, it literally wasn't like, um, though her friend does have the great line, but, but but it wasn't like she was like, oh, I don't know who the father is. She knew the men she had slept with, though I do love that her friend was like, oh, this is a Mama Mia situation. Oh my and God, she's it's like, a Mamma no. Mia
1: situation. <laughs> <laughs> and then when she explains why it's not, I was like, I like, it's just, it's very frank about sex. It's very frank about the fact that this is a young woman in her twenties who's trying some stuff, right. whatever. But uh, I love, there's like a scene where she tries to imagine like talking to potential adoptive parents while she's like having a cigarette and explaining all the wild stuff she did. Cause she didn't know she was pregnant. Yeah, Like I, what, I really what enjoyed
0: What makes that scene even better is how awful the prospective parents are. Like my, yeah. my favorite is the one that was like, well, we want to know the skin color of the baby. And she's like, like, that's racist. And they're like, no, there's just a lot of racism in the world. And she's like, and you're going to fix that by adopting a white child?
1: It's because it's so funny because she, she's angry. And so she's trying to kind of like it's it's the way it's very messy. And I appreciate messy narratives about women yeah. when the when the when the narrative is like smartly messy, because I also watch some stuff. that I was like, I get what you're doing, but I don't know what <laughs> we're not doing it well. But like um, that actually reminds me. There was another one. Did you see Recovery?
0: No, I unfortunately didn't. That was the one of the few that I did not get in in time. Uh, even though I complimented the seating system, I unfortunately did not register in time.
1: Well, Recovery is. Uh, I'll speak about it briefly, but Recovery uh, is one of the COVID movies. Uh, Vulture listed all of them. There were way more than I was aware of.
0: There is a lot um, of COVID movies.
1: Some of them, though, are, like, introducing Selma Blair, where most of it was shot before COVID, yeah. and then they have, like, kind of an epilogue about COVID, and they counted that. But this one is, like, a COVID movie. Like, it takes place during the pandemic. It was shot during the pandemic. It's about the pandemic. Um, it's specifically about two sisters, and it's very funny. The first scene is literally two sisters who are like, oh, my God, Dirty 30, this is Gonna be <laughs> my year. What are you most excited for? It's your thirtieth year. We're going to Rome and Coachella. Tom Hanks is healthy. That's always a plus. I'm buying stock. I'm thinking airlines and hotels. <laughs>
0: oh. 51,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the United States.
1: And then it's like, literally, they're just like hard cut to a month later and everyone's just like, ah, and the premise is they find out their grandmother who raised them is in a old folks home that has a COVID outbreak and they're very concerned for her. And they call the old folks home and they're basically like, yeah, you should probably come and get her. That would probably be safer. And they're like, we live in Albuquerque. You're in Washington. They're like, oh, that's rough. (laughs) So- they like have to drive to see their grandma and, or to get her and recover her. But along the way, they like, don't want to eat anywhere. They don't want to interact with people. They don't want to be around anti-maskers. There's like all, and then of course they have like a sister who doesn't take any of this seriously and they call her and they're like telling her what's going on. And she's like, I'm on a cruise. The prices are great. And they're like, oh, oh my, my God.
0: God. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like There's so many scenes like that where you're like, no. And then they just like, but along the way, they meet like weird people. And it's like a really funny road trip movie. It reminded me of Unpregnant. Did you see that last I year?
0: I fucking loved Unpregnant. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So
1: it's that kind of vibe where it's like these sisters on this trip and like the two girls who I wish I had their names handy, but they're great. They're very funny. And they have such a good comedic timing. And like, they play off each other super well. It was like a very Kristen Wiig and even Willow vibe where you just like get that they get each other and they like were able to play and say silly stuff. And I had so much fun watching it. I almost didn't because I was like, I don't know, another COVID comedy. Because I'll <laughs> tell you this for free: the one movie at the festival that I would I hated was The End of Us, which was or how we how how was it the, the End of Us?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's what it's called. I will say um, you are not the only person who I've spoken to, and I I the other person will remain nameless. But uh, that told me to stay away from that movie, and therefore I did. And normally, if I got that many like don't watch it i'd be like well now my interest is peaked now i want to know exactly because i'm a brat but uh, (laughs) but
1: no i get that because you want to know what people are like upset about but like where where this movie found the things about covid and 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 was able to explore them in a way that made them funny and and interesting to talk about and like it the end of us just felt like a like a checklist I watched, they made a little video on why they made the movie and they were like, our friend broke up with his girlfriend and we decided to make a movie about it. And their friend is the one who stars and plays the guy in the movie. And like that tracks, like, it, cause I <laughs> watching it with my husband and he was like, did that guy write and direct this movie? And I looked it up and I was like, no. And then I watched that video. I was like, okay, same vibes. Cause like, <laughs> it's about this couple that breaks up like literally right before the LA lockdown. And now this unemployed actor who has a screenplay about Einstein that he hasn't actually started yet, but he's thinking about it for like four years. He's stuck with his girlfriend who like has a real job. And I don't mean like being an actor's on a real job, but being an actor, like he's being an actor is bullshit where he doesn't actually go to auditions. He just is right. in his head a lot about it. And like, he, he systematically just <laughs> drives her nuts and he doesn't take stuff seriously. He like randomly invites a friend over one day and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then it's basically about like, what hell it is being together and they're like hey remember doom scrolling hey remember this hey remember?" And it's like just like yeah man yeah i do we're, we're still it wasn't doing that long it ago. yeah also still yeah like <laughs> i was just i hated hated well i was like assigned a review for ebert uh, roger ebert.com so my review i literally called it a trash fire um i like i ended my review calling it a trash fire um by contrast recovery is quite fun i haven't written about it yet but i will for Bajiba, i think because it's just it was really zippy and the fact that i was able to be like this is a pretty zippy pandemic comedy was impressive
0: uh i do want to give a shout out to one more uh covid dramedy i want to say and that's i'm fine thanks for asking which is a film i, like I saw yeah is actually the last movie i watched for the festival and i just Really fell in love with it. It's directed by Kelly Collie and Angelique Molina. Both of them appear in the movie, too. So it's sort of a, a reverse of what you were just talking about with, with The End of Us.
1: Yeah, there's a way to do it that
0: works. Oh, absolutely. You could tell these women have their own voice. They have an interesting, you know, lens in which they view things. Also, this movie was so colorful and bright and really oversaturated in the way that, um, you know, Dan was in the room when I was watching it, and he was like, "Oh, it looks like Tangerine," and I was like, yeah. "Oh, yeah, that." And like, that's a compliment. Trust me. that we do. No, totally. Um, it, but it, it's this movie about this woman. She's recently become widowed. Her and her child are houseless now, and she's convinced her eight-year-old daughter that they're quote unquote camping. And her eight-year-old yeah. daughter is like, "I don't want to camp anymore. I'm so, over this." Yeah, exactly. It's set in California, and she's essentially. Out doing odd jobs, cutting people's hair, doing like a Postmates, a fake Postmates thing uh, to try and get money to get an apartment. And it's the last day before she can get enough money yeah, for this Yeah, like she'll apartment. lose the
1: hold if she doesn't make enough money.
0: Absolutely. So it's and like, it's, like, it's just yeah. one day. Um, and the opening credits are very do the right thing as she's skating around California and she's dancing to the music. And I just, it was just such a joyful, it's, it's, a subject that could easily be so dour and so wrought and th- they brought so much joy and reality to it. and her- Kelly Kelly's character is not a perfect person by any means. And I think it's easy for an audience to idolize a person who's struggling and trying to do the right, right. thing. and she's, you know, not necessarily always doing the right thing. but I I, I really dug this movie and I- it's one of those movies that I was like, damn. I want more people to see it, and I want to see what they do next.
1: Yeah, totally. And also what I liked about it, and I wrote about this in my Eber review, is that we're like, the end of us, the only gimmick is, it's COVID! (laughs) Like, I'm fine, thanks for asking. Her situation is happening during COVID, but doesn't feel remotely specific to COVID. Like, you know, homelessness is a very serious issue that's everywhere. And it's like, it's left ambiguous why um they lost their house or their residence or whatever you know that her husband died so it might have something to do with that and like the thing is people keep coming up to her and asking if she's okay and they're not talking about COVID which I thought was really smart because like we're like we can all engage with that but they're like oh my god are you okay it must be so hard since he died and because it has this different focal point we can even though it's set during COVID we can escape and watch that movie instead of being like but it's like the same thing now or like people say to each other like how are you doing and i'm like i hate that question i mean like all things considered i guess fine i guess i'm I'm fine thanks for yeah i'm fine thanks for asking is such a great title and she does say that in the movie and it's like the way she plays it is just per it's it's pitch perfect it's this concept of like what are you supposed to say because you don't want to spill your purse in front of everybody not just because then like you're just sharing the burden but also because then like you have to go through it again. And it's like, I just need to get through this day. I cannot <laughs> share with everyone I run into all the stuff that's in my head right now. Like I can't, cause then I can't keep going. Then I can't yeah. keep skating. And like, I really love the the energy and the life that and also how you've got a real feel for where she is like uh location wise i thought they they shot the area in a way that made it seem so lively and so fun and you got a real sense of the characters especially
0: because she has to come back to places at points too so there's like a real circular motion to the to the same places that she's visiting over and over again too which i really appreciated
1: yeah and there's also like a low-key criticism of how women are treated in in times of uh i mean period there's like every guy in this movie yeah every guy in this movie who thinks he's a good guy helping out like is just on some level of being a creep um but they do it in a way that's like it's not it's not a devastating movie because because like it's kind of like chin up like like right. yeah no this sucks but like, like i'm not gonna let this take me down like that's kind of the whole conceit
0: right there there's a lot of movies that go for the route of it can always get worse this definitely went for the route of it can always get better i did want right. to mention by the way with your talking about how like shitty the men are in the movie one of the best scenes in the film is a cameo by Dion cole who basically yeah. shows up does a monologue and then leaves the film and it's yeah. so good and leaves such an impression hey beautiful how you doing you all right you're preaching this your church i ain't never seen a reverend in this gates
1: incoming call from sugar lips
0: incoming so call from sugar lips going off he's, that's...
1: incoming call Hold from call declined it's,
0: it's messed up i apologize it can't beep, me
1: he's a producer on it which made sense to me
0: but it's sense. also like
1: he's probably the most famous person in the movie 100 so like it's yeah so which is smart because then it's like people might be like oh i love him on blackish so i'll watch this movie <laughs> it's like really smart it's a very smart placement and he's very good in the part like he clearly was like yeah i'll do that Like, yeah, it's, it's a very smart movie. I I was like, I mean, comedies, I feel like South by usually has a, has a pretty decent slate of comedies. And I felt this year they were really strong. I know you and I both, do you want to talk about the one I know you and I both liked?
0: And It's funny. I was going to interrupt by saying too, what's great about, um, I'm fine. Thanks for asking is it's technically also a road movie, which was the subject of our last mixed reviews episode. And speaking of road movies, uh, one of the, I mean, I think the best film I saw in the entire festival would be Todd Stevens' Swan Song. Uh, I watched Christi, it twice. You, you watched it twice? That's amazing. Would you like to tell everybody what Swan Song is about? Because it is so good, and I yeah. don't think I could do it justice.
1: So Udo Kier stars as um, this man named Pat, who we meet in this completely depressing old folks' home, where like he's told how to sit. He the, His hobby is like folding napkins. It's very bleak. And then he gets this kind of like, it's very like, <laughs> like very like crime movie where it's like one last job where a lawyer shows up and tells him that this woman that he used to be friends with and who used to be his client has died but she wants him to do her hair and what I love was re-watching it he doesn't say anything until they show him the photo of like they're like this is a photo from a couple of years ago maybe you could do it like this and he goes split ends and all yeah, And like, you get it. You understand who this man is. And initially he rejects her. And I, the reason I bring up the small plot point is because what he says is bury her with bad hair. And I was the best like,
0: line. Ah! yeah,
1: it's so good. But then he decides that he changes his mind. But instead of like, he's a man that has like no money, no resources, and has like been isolated from his community for a while. So. The story of, like, what happened between them slowly unfolds as he walks into town, this teeny town of Sandusky, and, like, along the way, he keeps meeting people, and it's like, you, the setup, I kept expecting people to be horrible to him, because he is, like, a very clearly, like, old-school queen, even though he's wearing a dirty old tracksuit that has seen (laughs) much better days. But like, I kept waiting for people to be rude to him, but people are just like either bemused or like caring toward him. Like the first interaction he has is like trying to buy cigarettes. Yeah. (laughs) And the guy behind the counter is like, oh, I didn't know anyone buys these anymore. Does your wife smoke these? (laughs) He very slowly (laughs) and methodically takes a cigarette out of the pack with these long skinny things, lights it, takes a deep inhale and exhales and goes... She adores them, <laughs> and like the old guy, like the guy behind the counter doesn't give him a hard time about it. It's just like it. They're they're kind of like okay. And what's interesting is it's not just funny because of I expect some sort of redneck small town reaction, and I don't get that. It's also funny because he seems to expect that too. Right. And the film is kind of showing how the world has changed since he kind of became, became reclusive, and in that he's also seeing what he what he lost, and also kind. Kind of what his legacy is as one of the pioneering gay men in this town. This used to be white. My beauty supply store. I had an account. Oh, oh. you going way back in a day?
0: <laughs> what you looking for?
1: Perfect powder bleach and vivante.
0: You won't get that here. And baby, that snack don't stick to nappy heads. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want some Kizzy's Daughter Pomade or some Nisora's Buttercream, yeah, hell, yeah. even some juicy ass Jerry Curl, yeah. I got you. Mm-hmm. Right. Try Didi Dale's downtown.
1: I rise a swallow mucus. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you tell us how you really feel? I watched it twice because here's the thing. So I didn't get like <laughs> an advanced screener of this one. I watched it um, because I saw other people talking about it. And I liked it so much that on Saturday, when I was like, I have a limited amount of hours and I can only watch so many things. I just, I wanted to watch it again. And I was like, I gave myself the logic of like, well, I'm going to make some, I was making soup. So I was like watching it while making soup because I'd already seen it once, but just listening to the lines again and like catching stuff I missed the first time, it made me so happy. It's such a thoughtfully made film because it's talking about, uh, it's talking about this idea not just an elegiac idea of like legacy, but more specifically about how like there were gay men and like, you know, queer people who fought really hard for any sense of normalcy in their lives. And now you have queer youth who get all these freedoms, but also don't necessarily know what these people had to give for us to have these things. And it recognizes that in a movie that doesn't feel preachy right it's like it's a movie that's like bittersweet and kind of the best way because he's a little angry that these people have it so much easier than he did but mostly just because they don't they don't know who mr pat is they don't understand what he gave and so it's like unfair to him that he 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 suffered so much and like they don't even know and And i
0: I do want to i like that's such a really astute point and i do want to touch on that um the one thing I will say before I get into that, though, is one of the things I absolutely loved about it was it really felt like um, a throwback to the queer cinema of the 90s. So outside of the four... five main people that are in it it felt like it was populated by non-professional actors which was like a total staple and it also felt like it sort of existed in this sort of nebulous i don't want to say magical world because it's very much our world but this sort of nebulous world where nobody knew who mr pat was but everybody sort of knew who mr pat was and and i love i love that feeling of that it's both like a like a warm hug but also like a standoffish sort of thing But I think everything you just said is absolutely brilliant and lovely because that's really what it's talking about. The other quality the movie has, too, is sort of in its undertones because it ends up having to talk about things like the AIDS crisis, but in the fact that this woman, Rita Parker Sloan, is her name. She's played by Linda Evans, which is a huge deal for me because Dynasty was huge in my mom's house. And I have to say, Linda Evans looks exactly the same as she did when she was on Dynasty. I don't know how because she's in her 80s. I mean, I know know how, but I'm being nice. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, um, but there's, you know, there's a scene where he really comes to terms with this idea that, you know, during the Reagan era, a lot of Republicans who didn't care about people's sexuality or, or, you know, what they did... really turned towards the more conservative. And because he was in the small town of Sandusky, Ohio, it was very easy for this rich woman to shun him when his lover died of AIDS. Than it was, you know, if he was in the city, if he was in New York city, it wouldn't have been a big deal, but the politics changed so much and it changed people and it made people into monsters. And that's really what this woman became to him. she, was able to destroy his life and everybody was able to pull away from him because it didn't like he he wasn't a human anymore and so they didn't have to deal with him and there is this sort of sad underpinning and the movie does let you be aware of it but it never like you said it never gets preachy it's never like how dare you turn away from your gay elders how dare you forget the fight that they fought for you so you can marry and you can have kids. Um, But I don't know. It's just really brilliant and so lovely. I did want to mention um, there. He has a rival hairdresser that used to be his assistant um, played by Jennifer Coolidge. They have an amazing scene together. Uh, Michael, It's like
1: her in a very different role than we usually see her in.
0: Absolutely. And you get, it's that thing I was talking about where, it's very clear she regrets her role in uh you know
1: but also i don't think it all i don't think it paints everybody that that betrayed him as like outright wrong right cuz it, it it like it does try to it basically i mean it's essentially a therapy session where he he has to accept that this is what happened and i don't like why it happened this is why they did what they did and it doesn't like turn on him but it's like it's like there's this I'm going to re- reference RuPaul's Drag Race. I find this very helpful. <laughs> there was um, the season where it was Eureka and, um, the Vixen. and the Vixen. Yeah. One of the queens was giving, was giving Vixen advice and she was like, look, I get why you're mad at Eureka. It totally makes sense you're mad at Eureka. That's understandable. But how is you being angry at Eureka helping you right now? And that's essentially the message that this movie has. is like, look, no, you're right to be angry about all the ways you were betrayed and all the ways you were treated. What does hanging on to that do for you now? And so like Mr. Pat is given the chance to confront these people on whatever terms he's capable of doing that and, and to choose to let go. And I thought that that was really beautiful. And also just like, you know, I think for me, the... The scene in the in the gay club where he's dancing <laughs> and like he said I really missed this and someone says dancing and he said no our people and I just yeah. I mean especially because like last year you know we lost pride we didn't get to yeah. do pride like this made me swell up and it made me feel like it made me, and also I feel like it must be frustrating as an older gay person to look back and say, cause even as a millennial queer person, yeah. uh, it can be uncomfortable to see how some of these kids are so comfortable with themselves. right? Cause, cause you just feel it's not their fault. They're not doing it to you, but you can feel judged right. or you can feel forgotten, or you can feel like what you went through doesn't matter because they're doing so well. And like, that's, that is not a rational thought. It is an emotion that comes from a place of trauma. And like, I'm sure that's even harder for an older generation that had to flat out lie yeah. for, for a lot longer than a lot of us did. And like, you know, it's really, it's also exciting that to see- That survived a
0: plague, Yeah. Know?
1: And that survived not just a plague, but then people ignoring it. Yeah. Like everyone around you is dying and people just want you to carry on and like do their hair and not talk about it like I, uh, there, he has so many lines that are so quietly devastating in this and like i i was just really caught up in you know because people that were talking about it on twitter which it's twitter like we, we can only get surface level on twitter and that's a thing and that's fine but on twitter people kept being like oh he's so funny he's so cute he's so whatever and right. he is he's all those things but there's also this like acidic wit because there's a real agony going on at play underneath what happened and I thought that this film captured it so beautifully that like I wanted it, Like, I wanted to watch it again and again but also like I wept wow. watching it.
0: Well it's, it's very cathartic and and I will say before we move off it the other thing that you know we don't know how much longer we're going to have Udo Kier and Udo Kier is you know a staple of being this sort of character actor who's willing to do anything, you know, he was a Warhol person, and he, he, I I just think that this is the role that hopefully he will be remembered for, and it's, it's giving him, you know, it's not just this character, Mr. Pat's swan song, it's Udo Kier's swan song, and I think that's really beautiful. Um I did want to, real quick, while we were still talking about queer issues, I did want to bring up Wes Hurley's Potato Dreams of America. I don't know if you got a chance to see it. Um, it, It's based off a true story, Wes Hurley's own story. It's very, the first half of the movie is very, um, it feels like a Fassbender movie. It feels like a John Waters movie. It's uh, very artificial and it's about him growing up in a Soviet country and then he comes to America and it starts becoming very real. He's also, you know, a young gay kid and he's trying to come to terms with that. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, It's one of those films that I I hope other people see. And Wes Hurley's a young filmmaker, so he's going to get to make more. Um, I just, I think his personal brand is so cool. And by the way, Leah Delaria plays his grandmother in the Soviet portion. And, just uh, fucking love leah Delaria, like her and everything but oh and i did want to mention by the way back on swan song swan song was picked up by magnolia so you will get a chance to see oh, swan Song.
1: wow yeah it might actually get an fyc campaign then
0: yeah and that makes me very happy uh but was there anything else that you saw that um be it a comedy be it a documentary be it anything
1: oh um i watched a bunch of the midnighters uh which is very much my jam i really yeah. like sound of violence which is getting kind of mixed reviews um i didn't did me... get
0: a chance i i rsvp'd for it and then i ran out of time so uh
1: well i'm sure it'll I, I i don't know if it's got distribution but i feel confident it will it got some pretty good reviews but yeah that one was really interesting it was about a girl who has synesthesia which is when you hear music you see like colors or she does but she specifically sees them whenever she hears sounds of violence so like she's drawn to that and it's actually i thought a very good allegory for like addiction about how like you're chasing this high and you don't really care what you need to get there and i thought that was actually very beautifully done um i really like the feast which is a welsh movie that's like very folk horror and uh, I'll have to write about that one because I, I really enjoyed that. It's like very moody and weird. And you're spending a lot of it going like, what are we doing? What's happening? And then you're like, oh, gotcha. <laughs> and I like that about it. Because I, I was like, you're like noticing things and being like, what does that mean though? Um, and maybe if you're Welsh, it comes sooner. I don't know. I uh, And then I actually really liked, there is a three an hour and 15 minute documentary called about Woodland's Dark. Yeah, yeah. It's it has a very long title. So look that one up because I don't remember it off the top of my head. I had to keep checking it. But uh it is long. My hope for it is that it gets picked up by like AMC or Shutter and they turn it into like six episodes because it has six chapters and the director. She put in so much information that it's awesome. Like, I really enjoyed watching it. I learned so much about folk art because I was like, I know things, and then I was like, Oh no, didn't? There's a lot here, and like, it really digs back to like not just like the early '60s when British folk art became a thing, but back, back, back to like true crime and oh wow, literature and things that like inform that idea, and then it branches out and talks about how like. In America, folk art like became The Shining and Deliverance and The Craft, and it's it's really interesting the way it ties all these things together. And then it goes, okay, now let's look at the broader world. And then it starts <laughs> talking about how like in Japan, folk became this, and in Australia, and it does this. And it was really great. My only complaint about it, and I wrote my review on RogerEbert.com, and I said this was like literally, it's so much information that by the final chapter, I was just punch drunk, and I was like, I don't, <laughs> I can't, I can't take in anymore. Yeah, but like I really enjoyed it so my hope for it is that it gets put on TV and you can like kind of digest it as you go. Because like at the end of every like chapter, I was like, well, I have a list of movies I would like to watch (laughs) before I continue. And I don't have the time. So um, that is my hope for it. But yeah, those, those were all really, really terrific fun. I I quite liked all of those and introducing Selma Blair. If you're a nineties kid is essential viewing. It's also just a very good documentary.
0: I exactly. so introducing Selma Blair. I, I definitely wanted to mention it. It's going to be out on Discovery Plus. Um, I'm not sure when, but soon ish. Uh, yeah, they were it, like
1: within the year. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
0: it's a documentary about Selma Blair's struggle with MS and uh, actually a very, very specific period of time um, in which she's attempting to get stem cells in order to. Uh, hopefully cure it or but there is no cure or like for reboot MS. her system and yeah
1: yeah um it's uh it's intense it's also really interesting because you learn a lot about who she is and why she is and it becomes like a real mental health journey as well
0: yes and yeah.
1: i thought that was actually very impressive because she is not she doesn't hold back
0: no she doesn't she, she doesn't pull any punches she allows it to get completely personal and internal and i have to say you know dan Walked in on me watching it. Um, and he was like, Are you already crying? And I was like, Um, it's 10 minutes in and I've been crying the whole time. So, yeah, but, it's but a lot. such a staple I think for us, you know,
1: right. And I think if you're someone who struggles with self doubt, like, you know, I think whenever we see famous people talk about uh mental illness, there's a certain level of like, you don't have real problems, like, right. you're rich and famous <laughs> and people love you, but like, I mean, you know, like Chris, Chris Evans has anxiety, and you know, uh people have whatever. I'm I'm like it's uh Anthony Bourdain had suicidal trauma and like you know it's this thing of like you watch her and you're like, but you're so beautiful and you're so funny. Like how can you doubt yourself? And yeah. like what you need to take away from that is not that she's lying, but that your brain lies to you. Yeah. And like that's a really hard there's a couple of movies at South by that are about that. Um and I feel like it's 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 really hard to teach yourself that that there's part of you that is not helpful to you. And again, like the anger thing, like yeah, it's it was um yeah. But watching her talk about like how her mother talked to her and how she would basically be like, oh, my mom saw this photo shoot and she said this really mean thing. And then she looks at the different photo shoot and she says something mean about herself. Right? Right. Like Selma, like it's generational, gonna... yeah. Right, like you're you're taking that on because your mother put that like and and so it's very interesting to see that because she's not. I said in my review for the playlist, like I feel like cynically you could say that because she's not an actress anymore, this is how she's getting attention. This is how she's feeding that drive. I feel like a cynical person could make that assessment. I think it is more that she has hit the point where she is tired of lying or allowing a narrative of her to exist. That is not who she is. Yeah. So like, if you only see her, when she's on the red carpet or in a beauty magazine or from that like scandal that happened on the plane or whatever, like she wants you to know the context of that. And I thought that that's incredibly brave because this is not like a glossy documentary that's like acting like she's the best thing ever. Like it shows her having some real struggles and it shows her saying some stuff that I was like, oh, okay. Uh, But like, that's the thing. She's not trying to project some idea of perfection remotely. And she even says, she's like, you know, I like I don't want to be a role model for disabled people. Like that's that's I I'm just a disabled person and like I feel like the way she I'm sorry. I don't want to be a person a role model for people with disabilities. Pardon me. I use the wrong nomenclature there and that matters. But that's her thing is that she's trying to talk about her struggles without allowing that to be the story. Yeah. And I think that that's really smart. She's there's a lot going on. She's also a mother. She's also someone who is dealing with the way fame can intrude on her life and the way the stress levels intrude on in her life. And I thought that the film was really thoughtful in how it portrays her. And I also like that it effectively creates a kind of Norman, Norma Desmond arc with her. Yeah. Where she starts off. Yeah. And she's literally like talking about Norma Desmond. And then the end, they kind of tie it up but in a nice way. Like, well, what if Norma Desmond had a happy ending? Um, you know, so thankfully, Selma Blair doesn't have a crappy screenwriter in her life.
0: <laughs> um I did, you know, the only other documentaries I unfortunately got a chance to uh, watch were Alien on Stage. Uh, oh, that which, was great. Yeah, I was going to say, so much fun uh, by Lucy Harvey and Daniel Coomer. And uh, like, honestly, when this hits, people are going to go gaga over it. It is so much fun. It's about a stage production in England, a version of Alien, uh, of the movie Alien. And it's just a riotous good time. I saw some, like, buzzy, like... It's like waiting for Guffman in real life. It's not, but it is yeah. fun. It's a lot of fun. Every alternative I've come up with, I hope has done what Ridley Scott would have wanted to do, but in a more basic format. I think they did uh, Robin Hood production the year before. You yeah. brought me up on Alien, didn't you? Yes, don't, say age. don't tell <laughs> them what age I let you watch it. Robin Hood has quite a sort of
1: Christmassy panto feel and mm-hmm. Alien just, just doesn't. <laughs>
0: I also got to see uh, Hulu's documentary about WeWork, which will be, once again, will be out on Hulu, so you'll get a chance to see it. But uh, I have to say, it's very worth watching to just realize that a lot of our current businessmen, the reason why we let them get away with things they do is because they create a cult around them, which may or may not sound like a former president of ours, so... Uh, I do recommend checking that out just to see how easily people are manipulated by people they think are powerful. Yeah, it
1: hits Hulu April 2nd. I'll check that
0: out. Oh, absolutely. Um, I actually have a friend who worked on it. So full nice. disclosure.
1: I do want to mention Violation. Uh, it played in Festival Favorites. Oh, okay. uh, because it yeah, because it premiered at TIFF and then played Sundance. But Violation is a horror movie that didn't play in the Midnighters Festival Favorites, but it's a movie about this woman who had something traumatic happen and is trying to cope with it in a way that is controversial let's go with that uh but i think it's actually really well done it's about like gaslighting and belief and trying to come back from that uh and it's also hitting shutter this week
0: oh nice so oh yeah i think
1: it's i think it's this thursday so like march 25th Um, Um, I don't know when this episode will come out, but it should be on shutter very soon. So if you, if you check violation, violation is, it's really smartly done. It's not something that's reveling in like the title sounds alarming, but it's not something that's reveling in the violence. It is violent, but it's more talking about like, what does that mean? It's, I think it's very smartly done.
0: What is it that you're doing right now? You told me last night that you do selfish things, and I, I should have realized that when you kissed me, I, I should have stopped things, but- I did stop things. You were emotionally vulnerable- I told you that in confidence. Touching- I, In confidence. I opened up to you about things I was really ashamed of because I wanted your help. I don't mean you're a bad person, but I'm not going to tell her anything. I, I did want to give a shout out to uh, Women as Losers. Um, which is a, a cute little feminist film uh, set in 60 San Francisco. It was directed by Lisette Feliciano. Uh, I, this is one of her first films. I uh, highly recommend that. It's, it's a very small movie, but I thought it was clever and it really had its own voice. And and that yeah, to I me like is more impressive than anything.
1: Yeah. Some people criticized it for being like too cutesy or they said that they was talking down to its audience and like, cause it there's, there's moments where the fourth wall breaks through and it like talks directly to yeah. you. And I actually really liked that because I feel like there is a tendency with period pieces to be like, and then racism was solved. Like, I feel like the, the sepia tones of a historical movie of a period piece can act like that's like a long ago thing. And I enjoyed that her character kept breaking the fourth wall to be like, Nope.
0: I also did want to give a shout out to Justine Bateman's first film, Violet. Um, I know you saw Violet. (laughs) Violet is a very traumatizing film. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I didn't like that one as much. Yeah, no, it was my problem with Violet was that I feel like she uses too many bells and whistles. So like, it's, it's also, I mean, I watched that in introducing Selma Blair around the same time, and they're dealing with a lot of the same stuff, like self-doubt and inner saboteur and like cognitive distortions that like make you see yourself in ways that are not actually how you are. You're better than that. And like, it's all Olivia Munn and she's a successful yeah. producer. And, uh, but just Justin Thoreau is like the mean voice in her head that tells her she's not worth anything. And like the concept is good, but I felt like the way it's executed is... It's like a crash course in therapy that doesn't actually use any words from therapy, which yeah. I found kind of reckless and messy. As if they invented these epiphanies instead of clearly cribbed them from someone's notes.
0: That's what it definitely felt like. Um, Self help, the movie. Uh, but I think yeah. the th- I think the things that impressed me, and I completely agree. I think when you're a first time filmmaker, you have a tendency to want to get everything in there and get really. And I think the style, style wise, I was just like we could pull it back a bit we don't have to we don't have to because there's
1: voiceover and there's writing on the screen and there's color washes and there's flashbacks and it's like I get it like I like oh and there's clips to like archival footage and I I understood what she was doing but it's like it didn't feel integrated in a way that was fluid and so it just felt like a lot of noise which I think was the point I think the idea was like these are intrusive thoughts and I'm like no. I get it, but like, I actually am not paying attention to the performance of your lead actress because you've scribbled writing across her and you've got this going. Like, I can't pay attention to the actual story because there's so much other stuff going on.
0: But I will say this is a career highlight for Olivia Munn. I've had my problems with her in the past and it's not necessarily because I don't like her or I don't care for her acting style. I just don't think anybody's ever used her in a very successful way or she's had like a meaty part to really you know prove what she's capable of and please don't come at me Psylocke fans because I'm pretty sure she also regrets doing those x-men movies yeah but, they don't
1: give her a lot to do no like that realistically there's like Psylocke as a character is super cool Psylocke in those yeah. movies is you know no. an interesting swimsuit uh
0: <laughs> the correct but uh I I really was impressed with what she was able to do even amongst all the noise and stuff I also had an issue with like If you removed all the bells and whistles and stuff, like, her character arc is really that she goes from kind of an okay place to kind of a better place. And that's not the world's most interesting. There's no,
1: like, yeah, there's no, like, straw, like, there's no epiphany moment. Yeah. As someone who's been to therapy, like, there's normally a moment where you're like, oh. And it's not like everything is exponentially easier then, but it's annoying that she... It feels like the epiphany moment moment is kind of brushed over if it even happens. Like I was trying to be like, wait, what changed for her that everything is changing? And I don't know.
0: Right. Yeah. Maybe I
1: missed it amid all the, you know. No, but
0: I I also didn't see it if you did. But uh, but I'm still interested in seeing what else Justine Bateman can do, Um, you know, whatever comes next. And who knows? Maybe she won't do another thing. Maybe this was the passion and she got it out. Um, the last one I wanted to bring up, and I don't know if you wanted to bring up anything else, but the last movie I wanted to bring up was In Between Girl, which is, uh, a young, um, not necessarily a rom-com, I think you could call it a rom-com, but, uh, it's a a movie about a teen artist, uh, called Angie Chen, and she starts essentially having these hookups with this very popular kid, uh, in private school, but she also befriends his girlfriend. And in the midst of all of this, her parents are also going through a divorce, which is what's really driving her and really making her sort of question who she is. Um, this is the first film by uh, Mai McConnell. Um Emma Galbraith plays this character, Angie Chen. And I just thought this was a really tender, really smart Sort of an anecdote to like those glossy Netflix rom com, teenage yeah. rom coms that you see, and honest um, in a way that you don't get from a lot of teen movies. And yeah
1: like we were talking earlier about n- messiness and yeah. being a woman and like yeah she's a she's a messy character she's struggling to figure this stuff out and she's kind of mean
0: yeah and she's kind of understandable exactly.
1: like <laughs> that's understandable like she says stuff and i'm like oh like i get it but oh man like you know but i think that that's i think that's honest i think that's an honest portrayal of where a kid like she's in the position she's in would be so i like that instead of you know, like I think it's a good like because like you know because like Netflix has like the Lara Jean Covey trilogy and like Lara Jean's right. adorable and I love her, but that's like a very polished look at like well, that, teen them and romance
0: and that's exactly what I kept thinking of is I kept know yeah. like well this is the the sort of reverse side of that because she she's not you know and and that's the thing like it's it's not even necessarily that she's not popular. But she's because you know she you never see her like getting bullied by anybody, but she's also not like a flashy dresser or anything. She very much has her own style. she's into her own stuff. She's a little bit of a loner, which I, I don't know if the movie necessarily like ever fully explains that. And I think that's an interesting trait because you don't see that in too many teen movies, but yeah, I think Emma Galbraith's just a total star and, and is gonna go pretty far.
1: If you could go to the dance with anybody in the whole world, who would you go with?
0: No one. Nobody. I don't go to dances. You okay, notice. well, I want you to come because I'm going to go. So, like, who are you going to go with? You, I guess. No, because I'm going to have a date. I don't know who yet, but... If you have a date, then why do I have to go? Okay, if I put a gun at your head and I was like, you have to go to the dance with somebody or I'm going to shoot, who would you go with? I'd take the bullet. <laughs>
1: yeah, I thought that was. I liked the arc of that, and I liked how uh, it bucks up. Like it's it's clearly in conversation with a pre-existing concept of how like these teen rom, rom romances are supposed to play out, and like I enjoyed that it recognized that and then said, "Cool, you know where these things go. We're not doing that." But it yeah. did it in a way that suited the story and didn't just feel like da 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 over here. <laughs> like it's well why is that how i did it i don't know but that's it's well established like why it makes the turn it makes as opposed to like you know it's not like a bait and switch story like they're you know they're warning you early on like this is not gonna this is not your your happy sappy netflix rom-com which is not just talk trash on happy sappy rom-coms i enjoy those but i enjoyed that this was this was saying i'm not doing that
0: yeah there's a formula and it works for a reason But, you know, it's always nice to see something that's willing to try something different. Uh, Was there anything else that you saw? I wanted to give you a chance to do one last sort of plug for anything, and then we'll wrap up.
1: I think we talked... You know what? I'm going to use my plug to talk about a short film that I thought was really funny that you should keep an eye out for, and maybe check the app and see if it's still there. It was called Puss. Uh, It's also a COVID comedy. It is about a lady who is super horny because she's been stuck in quarantine by herself for months and months. So she tries to create a hookup and then something weird happens and it's very funny. Um it's like it's it just delighted me. I <laughs> I thought it was very funny and I laughed at it and I appreciated that cuz again, who there's so many covid movies uh and like I haven't even watched like like legitimately half of them, like not just at South by they've been, they've been coming out for months and months. There yeah. was One day I got emails about three different COVID movies. And I was like, stop it. Yeah. But I was impressed that Puss was very funny and I am pleased that it exists in the world. So I'm going to, I have to, I, I'll have to, I feel bad that I don't, I, I wasn't planning to talk about it, but I'm like, you know what? One last shout out to Puss. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say look for that one. Cause it's very funny. And I'm curious to see what that actress and that team does next.
0: That's awesome. Christy, thank you so much for joining us at the Mixer Reviews, for, for giving us the opportunity, and by us, I literally just mean me, giving me the opportunity to uh, have a chance to view these films and really see what's coming up. And, and I'm just, I don't know, I was really impressed this time around. Uh, before we end the episode, I'm going to give you a chance to plug your stuff. Where can people find you online?
1: Oh, uh, I write all over the place. Uh, for for south by southwest i wrote for ign the playlist
0: uh you mentioned <laughs> roger ebert.com
1: roger com and pajama yeah i was i'm sorry it has been a, <laughs> i wrote a lot um so i wrote all those things uh you can find my stuff on com. it's where i collect all my reviews and stuff i have an authory page too but i don't really know how that works yet so i don't know how to tell anyone to look for that <laughs> i have to i have to get that together uh, but I'm on Twitter. I'm at Christy Puchko, I-S D Y P U C H K O. I tweet stuff there a lot. Uh, I'm also a Rotten Tomatoes top critic. So if you search for me on Rotten Tomatoes, you can find all of my ratings of stuff there. Um, yeah. And I'm also on Instagram if you want to see what my haircut looks like. <laughs> <laughs> and I also post pictures of cocktails I make and pop culture embroideries that I've gotten super into in quarantine because they make my hands busy and my mind less so. <laughs>
0: Well, I'll be honest, if they do follow you on Instagram, I did not oversell the haircut. It's very good. <laughs> um, but,
1: I'll have to post a pic now and be like, ta-da!
0: <laughs> but thank you so much. Thank you for joining me for doing this South by Southwest wrap-up. Thank you, South by Southwest, for happening this year and, and really making it convenient for people. Um, I'm Gavin from The Mixed Reviews. Louis will be back with me and a special guest for our next episode, which will come out next week. I know... You're all looking forward to that. And uh, I do want to thank you as a previous guest in the Mixed Reviews. If you want to go into our back catalog, you can find Christy's episode where we discuss the career and works of Michael Keaton. I
1: love uh, him. I love him so much. I love, he was trending today. Did you see?
0: I did see. I should have, ah, uh, I'm usually on top of those things too to like plug the episode, be like, oh, this is trending. Um, I, but, yeah,
1: I literally have people messaging me like, do you see Michael Keaton's trending? <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, I did.
0: You can always find The Mixed Reviews on Twitter at at The Mixed Reviews. You can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com or on Instagram at the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And you can listen to us everywhere. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, Google, you know. And if you listen to us on Apple, please stop by. Give us a five-star rating and review. We'll read it on the show. And it also helps other people find our show. So thank you so much for coming back every two weeks. And we hope to give you more bonus episodes. Thank you, Christy. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks. This is super fun.